How can we make the world better? By making ourselves better. The Dr. Joe Show explores how you can make positive personal change by using his groundbreaking and highly effective I Am approach to understand who we are and why we do what we do. Your small changes can have big effects. Join us now for the Dr. Joe Show with Mark Stiles of Stiles Law, Thomas McCoy, and your host, Dr. Joe Schrand. Welcome to the Dr. Joe Show. That was lovely. Lovely, Tom. Thanks. Thank you, Tom. Thank you. Thank you so much. Very nice having you here. Nice to be here. How have you been? Well, it's been a, kind of a boring week, Dr. Joe. It's been, uh, you know, I guess a boring time of year where we're in sort of proto-summer where I'm not getting outside as much as I will when it's truly hot and, uh, bo- not hot and bothered. Weather doesn't get bothered. Uh, <laughs> Tom Tom sometimes does, though. Yeah. And that, I, I don't know how to, f- how to feel about that. Is that it, is it happening right now, Tom? It might be. Mm. Uh, well, mm. now you got me in a mood. There we are. You see? It's hot and bothered Tom. He's spot and hovered. Oh, what was that? Who was, who was that? Did you hear someone here? Uh, you know, with that in mind, rather than stay hot and bothered, why don't we introduce our guests for tonight? Yeah, we're uh, coming in hot here, Dr. Joe. Yeah. Uh, but... You hinted before we came on that there's a bit of history going on tonight. It is true. It is true. Tonight, we not only have Mr. Zoom Papa, Christopher Sarson. Zoom Papa. We have the one and only Alexis Wilson. Yes. Born in the Netherlands. She was dancing as soon as she learned to walk. After moving to New York City, she became the youngest apprentice in the Dance Theater of Harlem and quickly moved on to becoming a featured dancer in the Emmy Award winning television special <coughs> Blues and Gone. After appearing as a dancer in the Francis Ford Coppola film The Cotton Club, she graduated from Carnegie Mellon University, moved to Europe, and continued her dance career. Upon her return to the stage, she teamed with Peter Weiss and Associates and began casting national commercials and theater productions like the Broadway smash hit Smokey Joe's Cafe. Oof. Quite a resume. Welcome. Alexis, how are you? I am great. It's wonderful to be here. It is fantastic having you here. And just so people understand some of the connection here, there was this wonderful choreographer, this man, Billy Wilson, who, Christopher, you want to just, could you introduce who Christopher was, Zoom Papa? Yeah, he said Zoom Papa. Right. Do you know who that is? He hasn't the faintest idea. Wait, wait, okay. wait, wait, wait. We have a bio. We, we do know. have a bio. We're I didn't know we were going to be that we're thorough. We're going to be that thorough. Okay. All right. Oh. John Christopher Sarson, British-American television Me. producer, director, writer, recipient Emmy Award, 1973 and 74, Year of Our Lord Jesus Christ. Peabody Award, Ohio State University, 1978. International Emmy Award, 1983. National Academy Television Arts and Sciences Governor's Award, 1991. Served with Royal Navy, 1956-1957. Thank you. Member of the Directors Guild, American National Academic Arts Television Sciences, parentheses, Governor Heartland Chapter, Windows on the Rockies User Group, President. Pretty amazing. I think, Larry, can we have a couple of rounds of applause for, the, for these <laughs> two guests? Amazing. No, it's really, unbelievable. It is, and it's 50 years. But folks, that's part of my... Well, I don't
being first Zoom could be introduced, and I, I use that a lot. But and is, is that why Zoom, is that why I'm, your program is called I'm, I am? That's, the, I am, that's right, I the am. I am approach. <sighs> Thank you, Christopher. So we are here because we are celebrating our 50th anniversary. Incredible. 50 years, it was 1972, what was it, January 6th? It was January the 6th. 19? Sunday, January the 6th. Ooh. Wow. Whoa. Pretty good, eh? That's pretty good. But there's, what else? Anything else happen? No. Uh, I don't want to even oh, sure. think about it. There was a war. Some, some silly shenanigans. Whoa. I didn't even realize that. So not only did Zoom change the world, but the world changed on January 6th. There we are. There was a war somewhere. But, but how did you come up with the idea? I'm, I'm really curious about that. It just happened. I have two kids who are, uh, who in those days were seven and nine or something like that, and uh, I watched them grow up. And watching them grow up, there were two things. Number one, they were watching the Partridge Family and all those shows which purported to be realistic. Mm. Were they realistic? Mm. No way. So. Why isn't there any kind of realism for these kids on television? And secondly, um, the, I was so impressed with the way they'd go into a room and there'd be other kids there, and they'd kind of say, you know, I'd like to meet you, I'd like to be friends with you, but I don't want to be, I don't want to be embarrassed, I don't want you to laugh at me, and that kind of thing. And was there a way on television that we could get this together hmm. and get kids to really sort of enjoy each other about real life and uh, that was the that was the essence of it yeah and I, I think you captured the essence of it absolutely and it's interesting isn't it how kids and, and even adults we get worried about meeting new people in case yeah they judge us yeah. in case they judge us as less than and that absolutely was the foundation for the I am approach that was 10 years later 1982 when I actually first started coming up with that. One of but the things that we absolutely didn't do consciously was to think of the mix that should be on the show. And people have said afterwards how incredible it was to have people of color, uh, I mean kids of color, mm -hmm. and kids of different uh, ethnic backgrounds and different socioeconomic and of things, everything. Yeah. And socioeconomic. And so it was a real mixture. And the kids got to know each other in different ways, too, because we sent a taxi to get kids, kids into the studio. And um, there was a, uh African-American kid who sat with the African-American driver up front playing this black music. Mm -hmm. And here in the back was this white woman, who, the white girl, who had never heard yeah. uh, because of her community. Uh, any black music and so she got into conversation with them and her mind was exposed and, uh, and yeah. that kind of thing it it was an interesting uh, show it was powerful and clearly you know there was such an honesty <coughs> to it because it, it resonated with people then and I think it had had an effect on their lives for a long time I was doing um a, a nostalgia conference the first one I've ever done and it was with Maura and Kenny and Donna and Leon, and we were in this place in New Jersey, and um, there were all these, you know, old stars, really, um, and 
and these complete strangers, these, these guests who were going around getting autographs, would come up to me and to our, the other Zoom kids and say, you were my best friend. Yes. Mm. Right, you know, some of them, you were my only friend. Some of them, you, know, <coughs> you were the person who I hung out with when my parents were working at night. It's amazing. Yeah. The, the impact. We had no, no idea we were going to have that sort of an impact on people. One of the interesting things about the show was that it didn't have a theme, it didn't have a story, it wasn't kids going somewhere as the Brady Bunch and all the rest of them did. It was just the kids being themselves. And as a result, people responded to the kids being themselves. How do you respond to a person that you like? And that you go into your heart, you go into your mind. And it's that which has kept the memory of Zoom going for 50 years for some people. Because in the reunion that we had uh, in January 2022, um, people reminded us of that and, and told us how they responded. Well, what's it like for you, Christopher, all these years later to realize the impact you've had on millions of people? It's, I'm enormously proud. I mean, how can you not be? But I'm enormously humble as well because I, and it's interesting because it wasn't me. I had this silly idea that you put a group of kids on the show and magic happens the kids themselves created the magic and it's the kids who made it happen and that's just so wonderful and um, Holly here um, Alexis next to me. Oh, excuse me Alexis what are you Alexis I'm both she's both We'll, we'll we'll talk about that in the next show. in the next act. But go on. In, in Zoom time, she yeah. was she was Holly. Yes, uh, she would sit in the uh, um, uh, studio watching her father work with the uh, with the kids. Well, she can tell the story better than I can. But one of the things that was magic about Billy Wilson was that he bought into the idea that the kids should be kids. So, in order to do choreography, we started at spot B, eight uh, measures, eight bars of the music later, you had to be in spot B. How you got from A to B yeah. was how you did it. Mm. And mm -hmm. that's what made it personal for, the, for, yeah. for those kids. It's so true. Yeah, I think we got a caller. We've got a caller. Let's get a call, and then we're going to come right back to our studio audience here. Uh, Larry, who, who's on the phone? Why did I think a home? Oh, we were in that Florida. Yeah, you drove me to, like, Sarasota Airport. <laughs> <laughs> it must be Donna on the phone Hello? with Mike. You guys know that you're on the air, right? right? Live? There you go. Hi, how are you? <laughs> <laughs> Who's on the phone there? Are you being really silly? We are being so silly. No, we're not being silly. We are being silly. It is Donna from one of the original Sarsen 21 cast of Zoom. Donna, it's uh, out of my control. I apologize. They're being silly. <laughs> I was actually the last of the Sarsen 21. I was, I was in the last bit of the, the Especial 21. I'm Donna, very happy to have been part of it. Donna, would you let me interrupt you? I of don't course. think you have a choice. He's our executive producer <laughs> Donna, and director. Donna was the first yeah. of the Southern uh, 21 because unknowing to us when she auditioned for the third cast, she was someone who had written a play. That's right. Which we 
performed, at least Joe performed, yep. together with John and that's other right. people that's on the very first show that we broadcast. That's so right. So you were not one of the last, you were one of the first. Absolutely. One of the first. It's very true. Riddles by Donna Moore. And Donna yeah. has the distinction of being the only Zoomer yeah, right. who had both her artistic, creative, written work on the show as well as being a performer. And Joe and John That's were the right. people who mussed it up, That's and right. we had to uh, cut it and uh, say, take two and do it again. And that was the first outtake ever. I will never forget that moment. John and I were there getting up to shake hands about something, and actually we were about to exchange money, and <laughs> a little, like a nickel or something, fell, out, coin, of, yeah. fell out of his pocket. And you can, you can hear it going around, and I don't know what it was, because, you know, we're being taped. And you both collapsed. We just started giggling. Start to yeah, you guys giggling. And, and then Christopher had the brilliant idea of keeping that take in. So you hear this yeah. beep, and then they, we do the scene again. Take and if you, if you notice, if you look carefully, you will notice that John and I could not make eye contact. Because every second we made eye contact, we would just start giggling again. That's great. So, I'm telling you, that was the first take. May may I just say, you were brilliant as Alistair Cook or your version of that. When you were uh, introducing and and you were pretending to be Christopher, which was so cute. I was pretending Um, to be Alistair. I was pretending to be Alistair Cook. Well, Alistair, that's true. Sorry, but I've always quite confused. Christopher with Alistair, so, uh, right. but yeah, and, that was funny. Thank you. And there was another story. Do you remember when we were walking down the halls of GBH? Because Alistair Cook, for those who don't know, was the person who would introduce all of Masterpiece Theater. The host of Masterpiece He was the host. Theater. And Christopher Sarson was also the, the executive producer, right. of Masterpiece Theater, brought that over here. And do you remember, you, you the two of you were walking down the hallway... You want to, you, no, no, you do this. And I'm walking the, the other way, and Christopher stops. You know, the three of us are there, and Christopher says, Alistair Cook, I'd, I'd like you to meet Joe from Zoom, you know. Mm-hmm. And Alistair Cook leans in, and he says, I'm going to sue you for libel <laughs> and for imitating me. <laughs> and we started laughing, but it was like, <laughs> right. it was terrific. Oh, uh, nice guys. wonderful. Hey Joe, can I ask? Um, I'm hearing other lovely voices. Who else? How, who else is on? Well, we have in here Alexis Wilson, who is oh Billy Wilson's daughter. And, and Hi, I wonder, Alexis. Let, let, let's just chat with you for a minute, Alexis. So sure, tell me, sure. What 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 does Zoom mean to you? And tell us about your dad and. Oh, boy. So that's, yeah, I could go on forever about that topic because I so adored my father. But Zoom for me was like a, the backdrop of that part of my life growing up in um, in Boston mm-hmm. when my brother and I were younger. And one of the things that I remember the most is how badly I wanted to be on that show. But my father made it very mm-hmm. clear that that was not possible. So he would bring Aww. me from time to time to just sit on the side and that's how I came to know everybody and Chris and I were just sort of going back in time reminiscing earlier about all of the the kids on the show and how many I remember so vividly I felt like I knew them Mm -hmm. you know Mm. Um, so it was a very a very special time and he really loved going to work on on that project 
He was so special and so revered. We just loved him so much. Uh, It was amazing. As a a matter of fact, sorry, Alexis, um, I have the honor of hosting you tomorrow night, and I've been making your bed and just, like, zoning in with your dad. And I'm like, please better have a happy stay at my house. I feel so honored to be here. I'm well, really I, I'm are, thanking my father to... silently for just allowing me to be a fly on the wall with all of you today. No, uh, you're not a fly on the wall. Honored all. to you have are, you. You are part honored. of this. I, I, I'm just going to go back to Chris. So how did you connect with Billy Wilson? Yeah. I well, it's remember. really funny because when I was at school, I hated sports. I did not like rugby, which the school played. I did not like cricket. I would fall asleep during cricket matches when I was the long stop or whatever they called it, and the ball would fly past me and I'd be asleep. Um, So I found a way of going up to town and watching shows, and I visited this show called Cranks. And um, uh, I saw another show. I loved it. It was entirely black and white. Everything was black and white except for the luggage. And the luggage <laughs> that the people were carrying, it was a dance show. The luggage that people were carrying was colored and um, mm-hmm. uh, bright colors and lovely colors. And there were very few people in the theater, but they did another show called More Cranks. And I went to that too. And that was incredible and gorgeous. When I uh, was looking for a choreographer, because I knew we were going to do dances, uh, somebody mentioned Billy Wilson, who was at the Elmer Lewis, Lewis. School mm-hmm. of something. African-American uh, artist mm-hmm. yeah, in Roxbury. Kids. And so I asked to interview, and he didn't want to come to the studio, so we met in the park, and he looked at me very suspiciously. What's this white guy want from me? Mm. And um, <laughs> he was more polite than that. But uh, we started talking, and uh, I told him what the show was and blah, 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 and all that kind of thing. And he said, well, what do you know about me? I said, well, believe it or not, I saw you 15, 20 years ago in a show called Cranks. And he said, what? (laughs) He said, you were one of 50 people who saw (laughs) both shows. And, you know, the show closed. It was a wonderful show, Mm. and he was brilliant in it and that Mm. kind of thing. But I think that's what actually uh, sort of drew us together. But then his technique with the kids was just so brilliant. Um, As I said earlier, we'd have a piece of music that was eight bars long and we'd start in one position and he would choreograph that. We'd go to the end of the eight bars and he'd choreograph that. He said to the kids, get from there to there the way you Mm. want to. Mm -hmm. And that way we got the personality of the kids Mm -hmm. and the difference between Maura getting there, Tommy getting there, Mm. Joe getting there and that kind of thing showed their personality and it was just brilliant. Alexis, can I just chime in and just say that your father, I felt so seen by him. So what? I'm sorry. uh, So seen. Seen. And I felt like he was one of those grown-ups who, like, when he looked at me, he looked into my soul Mm -hmm. and he saw me. And um, that was something that meant a lot to me that I as a grown-up, wanted to do for others. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's interesting because I'm, I'm working on a project of my own with high school kids, and the theme around this original script or play, whatever it's going to be, is, a, is around being seen. 
And mm. um, yeah, I have to agree with you. So much of what I do now is inspired by what I got from my father. You know, growing mm. up with him and him taking us into his spaces wherever they were. He always wanted us to know what he was doing. He would always ask me, what do you think? I'm working on this. Come see it. What do you think? Is it any good? And um, mm. yeah, and that, that idea of being seen is so important, being acknowledged and, and mm. yeah. Yeah, but your daddy sure did it, and so has Chris. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, we we noticed Chris as well. It's amazing uh, how these memories just sort of come forth. Um, so you say that your dad has influenced the work that you do. What what work are you doing now with the with the kids? So this is um, a high school where my children um, finished high school in um, it's Olentangy Orange High School in Columbus, Ohio, where we've lived for the last 18 years. And they have a really wonderful and very strong drama department. And over COVID, um, the drama head, she reached out to me. I just knew her because my oldest was doing productions there the last her last two years. And she said, you know, I've always been trying to figure out how to get more black kids and kids of color into the theater. And would you be interested in directing something? And I said, yeah, I think that sounds exciting as long as it has some real legs, some real longevity, and it's not just sort of a one-off in the midst of what was happening. And so um, so now I do these productions with them, and it's our third coming up. Um, the first one was a devised piece. The, the last one I did was an original play I wrote called Summer House about four girls, and now I'm working with eight actors. So we get to do the kinds of things that we and they feel like they want and need to express. Wow. That, that sounds incredible. Congratulations. That sounds special. And is, are these high school, like 9 high school, through 12? High school, yeah, 9 through 12. Mixed, whatever I get, basically, I just use. And how's the recruitment? Is the people want to do it, or is it difficult to get folks into the drama department? So it's young, you know, still. And we were, we did the first production still in the middle of COVID. We were one of the only um, high school theaters that were even doing anything, let alone being live. We actually had an audience of maybe seven or something. Hmm. Um, so it's growing. You know, this time uh, we have, I have eight kids and whoever comes in and auditions I use them and I sort of work out what it's going to be around who comes through the door so that's wonderful oh, nice yeah hey um thank you for having me on I'm going back I'm going to lose you guys cuz I'm driving but um love you all and see you tomorrow Donna will see you tomorrow over the weekend thanks for everything okay bye yeah. guys thank you so much bye Drive carefully. Look forward to the great sleep Donna tomorrow. Donna Moore. So, uh, who could ask for more? Or less. Thank you. So, um, I want to talk a little bit more about Billy Wilson. First, what was it like growing up with a guy who really became a, a legend in his own way? Well, I think the first thing that comes to mind is that when you're growing up with your parents, that's what the only thing that you're thinking about, right? So, um, but I think bit by bit, as I got older, and I grew, my brother and I grew up with him since since I was 11. My mother, um, after they divorced, she decided that he should take us. 
um, which was a pretty big deal at that time in the mid-70s for this black man at that time in Boston to um, have full custody of these two young children. Hmm. My mother's Dutch. My mother's white. So um, growing up with him, you know, he slowly also felt it was important for us to be aware of some of the things that were surrounding us, some of the um, the people that we were so privileged to be able to also get to know through him. Um, these were history makers. These were some legends and icons, and he felt very strongly about making sure that you know we knew who these people were. And then also that the life that we lived, which was very lovely and comfortable and privileged, um, that it came from very hard work. Um, work that he loved and he lived yeah. for, but it didn't just arrive. And so um, I think that we both grew up with a sense of um, some of those important things. So, yes, the sparkle and all of that, I mean, yeah. that was exciting, you know. And um, the first time that he was nominated for a Tony for Bubbling Brown Sugar, he brought me as his date. I was 11. Oh. And I remember it like it's right there in front of me. So, I mean, moments like that were incredible, you know, meeting people like Lena Horne and Sammy Davis Jr. I mean, you know, um, those were very special moments. And wow. I think made more special because he always connected um, who these people were, what they had gone to to arrive at at where they were and, and all of that that it didn't it looks like magic right. and that's that's the gig right for him to make it look like magic for the artist to make it look like magic but we got to also see them struggling in their costumes and missing the note and missing the entrances and mm. that helped to make it a lot more real and there's a book is it the book that you have written yeah I wrote, I wrote, um, the first book was a kind of love letter to my father called Not So Black and White. Hmm. And it's really about growing up with him and the, I think, sort of special growing up that I had, um, growing up in the ballet world and Broadway. And, you know, he was one of the few black Broadway choreographers and directors. Yeah. He choreographed eight shows for Broadway. Three wow. were Tony nominated. And then he also had his ballet life, which was here and also, you know, internationally. Um, so I wanted to write a book that really just paid homage to um, the father that I so adored. And now I'm working on the next book about my relationship with my mother, which is totally different. I've only seen my mother four times in a little over 40 years, and she's still here. <laughs> wow. So, yeah, they're two very different stories. Very different stories. How, how do people find your work? Well, I hope they're moved by it or but, but maybe. Not, not, not oh, how? It, not oh, like, like, literally like, find like, it. Literally oh, find literally it. Like, find it. a little concrete there. Oh, so yeah. Like, so how do they get it? Is it on Amazon? Yeah, or it's on Amazon. <coughs> website? <coughs> yep. Not So Black and White is on Amazon, and there are um, reviews on Amazon, and I do have a website. It's just alexiswilson.com. So, yeah, that's how you can find it. And the other one is still in in process. So Interesting. Yeah. Four times in how many years? Over 40, yeah. And actually, I just saw her the fourth time a few years ago, right before COVID, like the summer before COVID. I went back to Holland and um, decided that I would give it another shot. 
and it was actually one of the best moments that I'd had face-to-face with her, except that, unfortunately, um, in keeping with the history and the habit that I'd had with her since I was 10, she'd always end up hanging up on me, and that happened again after that very lovely moment in Arnhem. So, you know, all of the reasons why, that's, that's what I'm trying to figure out now and put into words and in this book and try to understand more about who she was, who she is. Hmm. Yeah. Hang-ups about my mom. Hang- <laughs> Hadn't thought of that title, you but you never know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right now I'm calling it um, Life Happens to Everyone, but that could change. It could change tomorrow. What? So the title is Life Happens to Everyone, but that could change? No, the, Life the Happens to, to Everyone. everyone. Could, right. that yeah. But that, but could, that change. could change. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Christopher, you know, I don't think I've ever really asked you about a relationship with your parents. Hmm. And I'm about to. Tell well, me about the relationship with your parents. It's so traditional and so boring that it's not true. Wonderful. <laughs> I was born into a Methodist um, background in, uh, where was I born? In England. And um, it was, uh, uh, we went to church. On I have twin sisters who are two years younger than me. And they and I would be, I'd be in the middle, they would be either side, and we would walk to church um, on Sunday mornings. And before we went to church, my mother had put the roast in the oven. And when we came back after the sermon, we could take the roast out and have Sunday dinner. My father was um, uh, principal, or whatever they called it, of the children's um, sort of Methodist church. And his favorite story was how uh, Anthony had come up to him and said, we've got to find Tommy. And so he picked uh, Anthony up and walked up and down. And uh, is Tommy here? Where's Tommy in the in the audience? And then um, the kid had said, finally, if we don't find him soon, I'll have to do it in my pants. <laughs> <laughs> so that was my Methodist upbringing. <laughs> Wow. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it was all very traditional. And then I went into the Navy. And when I went into the Navy for a couple of years for national service, I saw two men naked on a bed together on the ship. <gasps> so mm. that was a mind blow. Mm. Then I went to Cambridge and had a wonderful time in uh, Cambridge with a lot of interesting people. And I was part of the... I was the music director of a a group called Footlights, which gave Peter Cook and uh, all kinds of people their their first start, Uh, including Johnny Oliver, of all people. I was really surprised when I saw John Oliver on uh, stage, and he said he was a Footlight person. But anyway, that was was there. And uh, so it was a very traditional family, and then... uh, I left it and went into the theatre. My father was determined I should be an accountant, because he was. And uh, I said, tough luck. I, 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 I mean, that's it's a big switch. I mean, I was just wondering how it your parents, you know, managed that you were not following that footstep of accounting. It was quite traumatic. And they got even more interested when I went to uh, Manchester to start at Granada Television and found this woman uh, that I eventually married uh, called Evelyn, mm. Evelyn Kay, 
who came from one of the most orthodox Jewish families <laughs> in London. And uh, her parents refused to come to the wedding. They sat shiver. They oh actually oh my goodness. mourned for the fact that she was uh, marrying out. And my father was so wonderful. Uh, her mother insisted that she go back home uh, the night before the wedding uh, so that she could uh, have her hair done by the local hairdresser on the day that she was getting married. And I drove her there and she went with a wedding dress over her arm. And I said, I'll just wait half an hour to make sure it's okay. And 20 minutes later, she came out in tears and all that kind of thing. And I called my dad and I said, uh, she's, uh, well, he said, I wondered if that had happened. So uh, I booked a room for her at the Dorchester uh, Hotel uh, where we were getting married the next day and everything's taken care of. So <laughs> I drove her there and uh, we got married and it was all very happy. And blah, blah, blah. Wait, wait, your dad had anticipated yeah. that and had oh, booked wow. a hotel room for yeah, her? Yeah, he was a good guy. Wow. Oh, and uh, my mother was a loving guy and they had three lovely children and it was uh, just it was just great. But it was entirely happy. It was entirely, you know, it really wasn't, um, there really wasn't any kind of... Uh, Alexis, you had a comment on that? <laughs> I said, how awful. Of course, it's wonderful. <laughs> I have all these big, chunky pieces. Yeah. Yeah. Go ahead. We're, we're Well, listening. you know, I mean, from biracial parents or interracial yeah. marriage to, um, you know, I grew up with my father, but I grew up with my father and his partner of 18 years, Chip Garnett, who was also another beautiful oh black man who was a yeah. gorgeous baritone singer and a performer. Um, and, you know, in ballet and Broadway. And then in 94, um, I lost both Chip and my father six months apart to oh. AIDS. So oh. these are all pretty big pieces, you know, in comparison. And I tried to stuff all of that into that first, that first book. It was really traumatic, actually, when, uh, uh, when Billy died. I mean, it had an effect, you know, throughout the career. But he, interestingly, he didn't die. One of my favorite stories about Billy Wilson is uh, after he died, uh, we moved to uh, Denver, and the Harlem Boys Choir came to Denver to, have I told you this story? I don't I can't know. Remember. Um, the Harlem Boys Choir came to uh, um, Denver for a trip, and the Harlem Boys Choir used to do really good things in that if they went anywhere outside New York the choreographer the um, uh, person in charge would make sure that they did something that was native to where they were going mm -hmm. and when we were talking about this on the phone I was supposed to make a film about this when we were uh, talking about this I said well how about horses do they ride horses no never. I said we'll take them on a farm and we'll yeah. put them on a horse and that'll be great so we did that and the kids really <laughs> bravo got on and <laughs> you know went for a ride and that kind of thing and then in the evening they were going to sing and we went to the rehearsal and I put a camera right next to the conductor because it was really good to get good shots mm. of the people who were singing and uh, the floor manager who was black I mean he was from New York uh, came up to me and said you can't put a camera there it's going to uh, be distracting for the uh, conductor I said, okay, we'll put it somewhere else. And before the show, we had a talk in the green room, and we started talking about life. And um, life uh, included his work in on Broadway. And I said, did you ever 
know Billy Wilson? And he said, oh, yes, sure. And I said, did you go to the memorial service? I had spoken on the memorial service. You had invited yes. me and Holly and Alexis, excuse mm -hmm, me. Both. And um, uh, I was the only white guy to speak in this. I mean, it was wonderful. Alvin Ailey had a mm -hmm. yep. piece of the stage, and it was just an incredible ceremony. And um, I'd spoken and said that Billy Wilson had taught the Zoomers how to fly high, which is part of the opening uh, mm -hmm. song and that kind of thing. And um, so he said, yes, he knew Billy Wilson. I said, did you by any chance go to the memorial service? He said, yes. I said, well, I was the white guy that spoke from the pulpit. Do you remember that? Mm. And he said, oh, yes, I do. Oh, you're the Zoom guy and, and that kind of thing. And I said, uh, yes, and we kind of talked. As we were leaving to go into the performance, he said, by the way, it's all right to have the camera next to me. Conductor, so Billy was alive yeah. many years after. He, no, it was it was lovely. Still having an influence. Yeah. So we we are in this remarkable zone right now, for me, where it, it's still feeling this fifty years, and the memories that come forth, and the fact that Zoom touched so many people, Billy touched so many people. But Christopher, you touch people, not in that way, but in, 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 <laughs> in a most remarkable, Carol, my wife, is going to kill me for that line. <laughs> I know that. Tom is going to edit it out. He's going to edit it out. But, but it, wasn't just, it wasn't just Zoom. There were so many other things that you have done. And there are so many other things that you are doing as well. Where does this creative process come from? Where do you think? Lexus, where, where does it come from, this creativity? I mean, I don't know. I don't know the answer to that. Um, I know that for me, um, unlike a lot of people that I have met and worked with who are artists, often they haven't come from the background of having parents who were artists. So mm. I'm a little different. I had it surrounded. I, I actually tried to escape at some points to do something different, but there was no, there was no way because this is just where I live. I mean, there's no other. We were talking about left and right brain, and this creative, you know, part is the only thing that I sort of know. So, mm. um, it's just something. It's like air that that you need to breathe. For me, you mm -hmm. know, um, I just can't imagine doing anything but creating in whatever way that sort of shows itself. That's why I do a lot of different things. Well, I look forward it, to the next book, Christopher. Yeah. It's really interesting because I have the antithesis, is that the right word, of that, in that when I stopped being a television producer, I became a mediator. And one of the things that I always did, and, and I'd have the mother there and the father there who were divorced, and I had the kids that I was responsible, the court had made me responsible for what they were doing and that kind of thing. And one of the things I learned very quickly was that if the mediator was doing more work than the mediatees. It was a bad mediation. Mm. Mm. You start by listening to the mediatees. You start by listening to the Zoom cast. You begin to find mm. out who they are, and once you've got that, you've got tools. that you can. I'm not a creator. Mm -hmm. I'm someone who can organize other people's creativity into something that works, mm. and that's really what Zoom was. Mm. It wasn't my creativity. Mm. And the example of that 
is that it's gone on for 50 years. I didn't look for a crew yeah. for a, for a start for a uh, cast right. that we're going to talk to each other and work with each other mm. right. for 50 years. But That's it does true. start with vision. It does start with vision. Well, it starts with the vision that you right. listen to them first. I mean, it's a mm. simple vision. Well, and it's something that anybody can do. And we, we're going to talk about that in a moment, but we actually have a creator and one of your vision people on the line. David, are yeah. you there? Hey, yes, I'm here. Hi. Hey, it's David, David from Alberi Zoom. Alberico? Yeah. Hi. Hi, David. Are you wearing a coat tie? No, I'm not. I'm actually in a T-shirt and shorts. <laughs> David is wonderful. Whenever we have these reunions, yeah. he come, we all come in our sloppies, and he comes in with a tie. And yeah, that always. He's wonderful. <laughs> so, so, David, thanks so much for calling in. I, I, I'm just curious, how, how did Billy Wilson have an effect on you? How did Zoom have an effect on you? We've got a, a couple of minutes, so... Well, you know, you know, it's funny. Just, it's great hearing all of your stories. And um, Zoom had a, a very big effect on me. I mean, I ended, I ended up working in the entertainment industry for, for many, many years in New York and also out in California for a little bit. And Zoom sort of catapulted me in that direction. But uh, Billy Wilson is someone that really every day I think about. He had such an influence on me. And just in terms of confidence and and creativity and and dance and you know and and uh, he was just he was really quite a presence and i think that's something that i i would love to touch on is just him as a man and who he was he was a very tall man and he was a very big guy and of course we were little kids we were 10 years old you know but he would tower over you and his arms would stretch out really long and his legs were really long and and I just remember he always wore bracelets that would jingle, and yes. he was musical, and he just had a rhythm about him in, in everything he did. And he just made you feel very, very alive, and as Donna said, very seen and confident, and he, he was just an amazing human being. And uh, Alexis, it's really a privilege to have known your father. Mm. <laughs> well, it's a lot to hear that. <laughs> really, he, he, he's a terrific guy. I, I miss him. <laughs> David, thank you so much for calling in with that story. And we'll be seeing you tomorrow uh, at one yes. of the first reunions. Thanks so much. Yeah, absolutely. Appreciate it. All Pleasure right, we'll, to hear from everybody. Great. Yeah. We'll chat with you soon. Thank you. So, okay. You know, we're, we're approaching the, the end of the show. And as we do with all of our guests, we come back to the I Am approach. We haven't spoken about it much. But the I Am is saying we're always doing the best we can, influenced by four domains. Your home domain social domain, the biological, and the IC domain. Because the domains interact, a small change can have a big effect. So given what we're talking about tonight, creative arts, all these things, what small change can you recommend to our audience? Alexis, I'm going to start with you, and then I'll go to Christopher. What small change? This is so simple, but I always go back to listening. I mean, oh. as Donna... No, sorry. <laughs> Donna mentioned being seen, and I feel like it's just an extension of that. Um, it's being acknowledged. I often think about, um, I don't know how much time you have, but I'm just going back to just growing up in New York, and I'm that person that everybody used to come to to talk like a bartender. Hmm. And I just always wanted to see people. I just always wanted to just look into their eyes. And sometimes I feel 
that's that that can be enough in a moment and mm. it can make all the difference in the world it yeah it makes me emotional when i talk about it but it's true yeah. listen yeah and listening Chris, well, hearing because there's listening hearing, and there's and hearing there's, good yeah. point yeah christopher what, what do you think what's that's more exactly my uh, uh, take on on life too and as i say it started presume you listen to the kids and find out who they are and that makes it creative that in what you can create uh, you listen to the people when you're mediating so that you know they make the decisions you help them make the decisions mm -hmm. but if you listen to them that's that's the big thing empathy is yeah. is a good word too empathy mm -hmm. is uh, uh, putting you yeah. you know and I just say it's not if you listen it's when you listen mm -hmm. okay. when you listen mm -hmm. to them you know mm -hmm. it's uh, it's remarkable because we all want the same thing that's what the I am is saying we just want to feel valued by somebody else yeah we just all want that well you so want to be heard yes you want to be heard you have wonderful examples in your book but uh, you, you know if if you listen to somebody and what he's saying and yeah that kind of thing I love the guy who's dancing on the table and people are trying to get him down. Get down, you're not supposed to be doing this. And <laughs> Joe walks in and says, hey, Joe. I mean, hey, Fred. Um, what a cup of coffee. Right. And Fred kind right, of looks. Right. And anyway, then you yeah. go off. And you yeah. know, it's listening to what they're yeah. after. Yeah, absolutely. Good stuff. Mm. That's Unleashing the Power of Respect, the I Am Approach. Just sort of throw a plug in. Thank you, Christopher. Christopher actually wrote one of the endorsements. So let me just ask the second thing. The second truth of the I am. We've got a minute each for both of you. Uh -oh. You control no one. You influence everyone. You get to choose the kind of influence you want to be. Christopher Sarson, I will start with you. What kind of influence do you want to be? I'd like to make television programs. I'd like to make television <laughs> programs that 50 years after <laughs> I've made them, people, I don't know. Now, I'm 87 years old. I'm very happy mm -hmm. to bask in the glory of, of what I've done and to uh, be very humbled by it. It's, it's extraordinary. I'm not sure I've got all that much well, creativity left in me. But, so. You've huge influence. Alexis Wilson. Same question. What kind of influence do you want to be? You've got one minute. <laughs> I think I want to just continue on with all of the good stuff that my father, since we've been talking about him, and that's why I'm here, um, to pass that along, all of those great lessons and, and the way that he was able to touch people exponentially and continue that on. And then I also hope for kindness. I think mm -hmm. we're in such great need. Yeah, it's so true. You know, and I want to thank both of you for being here tonight. It was short notice. Greg Voison out there in California, thank you so much for giving up your spot. You will be back here, I promise, on the show. Everyone, Larry, Tom, let's find some kindness. Let's listen Good. and hear. See you all next week, folks. Thanks for being here and listening. <laughs>